So, hi, I'm Tiffany. Hi, Vladimir. This is our amazing podcast. Yeah. Stalin on you, Russian true crime. So, I'm an American living in Russia, specifically southern Russia, and in Russia for like six years now. So, my pronunciations will be not so great because I didn't really practice Russian too seriously. Uh, I'm Ukrainian. I was born in Odessa, Ukraine. Uh, yeah, the biggest Odessa is in Ukraine, not in uh, the U.S. Texas. Are you sure it's not bigger? Everything's bigger in Texas. Uh, it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people say. Like everything's bigger in Texas. But not Odessa. <laughs> Yeah, we're just going to talk about true crime in Russia and and the USSR, like surrounding like ex-Soviet states. Our first story will be about um, Alexander Komen. So my story is about Alexander Komen, and you're going to have to help me with these last names, uh, and Alexander Mikhiev. They are both from, let's see... Uh, Vyatitsky, Polonia, and the Kirov Oblast. So, Komen is also known as the the slaveholder or the Vetek Fayatek maniac. And I got most of my information from kind of Wikipedia. There was this other website called like Novotouch.ru. And then from the documentary series that you told me about, um, the investigation was conducted. Uh, they had an episode about this crime. And on another documentary called Criminal Russia, the Cooperative Pres- Prisoner. So those were two pretty good resources, pretty entertaining, especially the... Um, the host from the investigation was conducted, uh, kind of a weird guy, but <laughs> yeah, he was like, I don't know, very interesting uh, character. With a mustache. <laughs> yeah, his mustache was like uh, really interesting, and then there's like random cutscenes in the in the show, but anyway, so we... These crimes took place from 95 to 97. And just to kind of give a little bit of background on Vietsky Polonia, Polonia, uh, the population is pretty low. I couldn't find anything for like the time frame the crimes took place, but 2020, there's roughly like 32,000 people there. And so, I guess a pretty small city. I wouldn't even call it a city. So, this town was predominantly known for, like, uh, arms factories. Uh, During World War II, they created some sort of uh, guns, arms. They also created the Vietek scooter. I've never heard of it, but they created some scooter named after, like, the, the town. And in 2013, the the city was awarded uh, City of Labor Glory. And then in 2014, 
the region was included in the category of single industry towns with the most significant socioeconomic difficulties. So when the crimes took place, they also talked about the the difficulties in finding work, and apparently it still hasn't really gotten any better. So Coleman, he was born July 15th, 53, and he graduated from grade eight school. Uh, I don't, what's the equivalent of that in like American? Grade eight, it's like, uh, and like it's all his education, eight grades. Apparently, according to Wikipedia, that's what it said. I, mm. I think this was translated from Russian into English because it was written a bit strangely. But yeah, this says grade eight. So I was assuming maybe like just up to high school. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, kind of. I think so. Well, after grade eight or maybe some years later, he was sentenced to three years of imprisonment for hooliganism at the age of 18. So, yeah, probably roughly after that. And while serving his sentence, he worked in a garment factory, which he loved it so much. Uh, He went to school for the specialty. And after graduating, he found it hard to find a job doing what he liked. So he was a watchman, electrician, and a handyman. Later on, he had met a prisoner who gave him the idea to build this underground bunker full of slaves. Apparently, when he was serving his time in prison, he met someone who had done something similar, and that's kind of where the whole idea started. So I don't really know how he met his accomplice. I kind of left that out of my thing, my details. But his accomplice, Mikhiev, and Coleman, they both dug this bunker for four years. It took them four years to build this bunker. About There's like mixed numbers on this, but about nine meters deep. I saw like eight, nine, so roughly nine meters deep. And they finished that in 1995. So yeah, I just sent you some pictures of the first guy is uh, Coleman, the second oh, guy man. is Mikhiev, Mikhiev. And yeah, these are when this was when they were arrested. So yeah, they built this nine meter bunker in. This is something you might have to explain to me. So the Soviet Union had fallen at this time already by 95, correct? Yeah, correct. Okay, yeah. just making sure. So the he had a garage and like cooperative garages. I don't. What does that really mean? Is that just like a collection, or was it like given to people by the government at the uh, time? Or it means like uh, <clears throat> when you see a big territory with uh, garages, and you see just a lot of <laughs> garages. So this is uh, cooperative, so... Mm. And they're like clumped together though, right? They're yes, not like individual, yeah. They're clumped together, yes, on some territory and people, they are like... Um, it's like a co- cooperative of owners of these garages. 
something okay. like that. And was it given to people like like Dutches were at one point? Like they kind of like here use this land to do something. Were they like here have a garage to have a garage? Um, yeah, I guess so. I think uh, yes. Like uh, like uh, pe people could work in uh, people could work on government and uh, government could give them some place for. Mm for building garages. Okay. Well, he, oh, they dug this bunker in these garages that had the name Ideal. There was like a little entryway to this place and it had just like this word and I don't know, bars and metal bent out that said Ideal. I don't believe I took a picture of it now. And so originally, Coleman was only planning to put a greenhouse underneath of his garage. He wanted to grow cucumbers for some reason, but he wanted to grow like vegetables. Every documentary keeps talking about like cucumbers. So he came up with a new idea, though, to do his like sewing production since he was so into sewing. And they arranged rooms. There was a few rooms in this bunker, I think two or three there's electricity, ventilation. Uh, they even had like a little, like, not a full elevator, but some kind of, I don't know, they called it a winch to roll, to like play the role of some kind of elevator. So mm -hmm. also this bunker, there was a ladder that you had to go down in. So you would go into the garage and Underneath, like, the wood flooring, the floor would lift up, and there would be an electrified ladder. So once he would get these prisoners, they couldn't just climb up and down. They would get electrocuted. And the walls, when I was first hearing how they dug this, I'm just thinking, like, dirt everywhere. But no, they, they padded the walls with, like, mattresses. They covered it with paper. Uh, it kind of just looked like a miniature just like pretty much like a little little apartment I mean nothing nice obviously here let me try and send you some pictures so I got all these screenshots from one of the documentaries that kind of both showed like the same same images for the most part did they yeah. have toilets there uh yeah no they didn't they had a bucket so there was no running water yeah there was no running water no bathroom of any sorts. Uh, Coleman, I think after he got caught, that was one of his other dreams was to eventually uh, add a, add a running water and a working bathroom. But no, they just had a bucket that they used this elevator to kind of take the waste in and out, in and out from. I think, and also in some of the photos, uh, you can't see here, there's like some weird, not weird pictures, just like, Images of like pinup models, some nudes, and then mixed in with like religious images, like very interesting collection of uh, art on the walls there. And then you'll see the sewing machines that they they also used. So after kind of completing this dungeon bunker in '95, they start looking for their first victim. So Coleman and McHugh start walking around the city, kind of looking for somebody. weren't so successful. Then on the old, old New Year, January 13th, 1995, near a school, 
Komen meets uh, Vera Talapleneva. Talapleneva. All the last names are going to be really hard. <laughs> I practiced her last name. <laughs> Don't worry. He met yeah. Vera. <laughs> he met her, she'll be known as Vera for almost the whole the rest of the story. So he met Vera. And so he offered to celebrate the old new year with her. Strangely enough, she was not surprised that Coleman brought her to the garage. There he gave her some vodka, uh, which was laced with clonidine. It's some kind of medication, uh, something for high blood pressure and some other. Uh, it works for some other stuff. I didn't look too much into it. Some articles said this medicine or sleeping pills, but and every article also mentioned that no one was surprised to be drinking by a garage. I I don't know if it's weird or not, but I feel like from what I've seen, hanging out in your garage in Russia is kind of normal. I don't know. Yes, kind of. Kind of. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it was that strange. So every article is like. They f- they didn't find it strange that they were going to a garage. I don't think I would have either. So Vera couldn't sell. So that was kind of the biggest problem. She couldn't sell. She couldn't what? She couldn't? Uh, she couldn't sell. I don't understand. Mm, like she couldn't make the clothing that he wanted her to make. Uh, like with yeah. the sewing machines. Mm-hmm. So Vera, she was like the ideal prisoner for Coleman. I, I guess, listened. Uh, he, she couldn't sew, so she was pretty much raped repeatedly until she was able to find him another prisoner. Since she wasn't able to sew, that was her task at, at the time. So she knew a tailor named Tatiana uh, Milikova, who would become the next prisoner. She didn't remember exactly where Tatiana lived, but somewhere on a street possibly named Steamboat. Going out, Coleman unexpectedly met a man named uh, Nikolai Malka, Nikolai. And in coincidence, Nikolai actually turned out to be the roommate of Tatiana. So again, Coleman suggests that Nikolai and Tatiana go with him, hang out at the garage, drink some vodka, laced with this drug, and they're both just like passed out. And Coleman realizes that uh, Nikolai somehow realizes that Nikolai like knows the laws of the criminal world. So he's not going to probably listen to him, be a great worker. So Coleman and Mikhiev just take his clothes off, toss him in the snow somewhere, and left him unconscious, and he his body was discovered about a week later, and he is the, the first victim of these two. So then Tatiana wakes up in the bunker and is kind of told the situation, starts sewing. Uh, Coleman is producing, like, bathrobes, house robes, men's underwear, very, like, just basic clothing, which he sells in markets around town. And at the same time, he's still constructing this bunker. He's still trying to like expand on it. 
but he needs a man to kind of do the digging. So this is will be our third prisoner on March 21st, 95. Uh, while Coleman's looking in a shop, he finds uh, Yevgeny. Yevgeny, he's 37 years old and an alcoholic. They offer him a free drink at the garage and like the rest, he wakes up in this bunker. But Coleman again realizes that Yevgeny who was an electrician of the fourth rank. I'm not really sure what that means, but I guess he was like in the military, a a military electrician. So he didn't want Evgeny to like figure out these electric, figure out the electrical wiring of the bunker so he could de-electrify the ladder. So after realizing this, Coleman decides to then kill Evgeny. And he decides to create his own electric chair. So he takes Evgeny, wraps him in a chair, uses wraps his arms, legs, hands with like bare wire, and he creates two switches that he makes Vera and Tatiana to push at the same time. But according to the documentaries, Vera is the only one who pushes the buttons. I'm not sure where like the actual truth is, but as she's been told to be the only one who presses them. And later on, his body is lifted out of the bunker, taken to a forest, and his body was also later found. Meanwhile, Vera is then released to go look for new prisoners. She's the only one so far out of all these out of all the prisoners who's like allowed to like go in and out. She she finds she so she was allowed to go alone. Yeah, so well. yeah, so due to the fact that she helped murder Yevgeny, he Coleman's like idea was that she's not going to go run off because she took part in this. I can kind of trust her to not betray me in this sense. So she is going out looking for another prisoner to add. So on July 16th, 1995, another Tatiana Kwasik Kozikova is brought down. Ironically, she was to be held in court for petty theft and without waiting for it, was immediately in prison. This is in quotations from Wikipedia. So yeah, she'd been wanted for, I guess, robbing. I I think she stole some food, something really minor. The documentary mentions it. I kind of forgot. So we have two Tatianas. So I'm going to try and use her last names now. So uh, Milenkova taught Kozikova the basics of tailoring, and soon the garment factory had a full working force. The victims had to work 16 hours a day, and Coleman had incredible standards. For example, they had to sew 32 dressing gowns per day. Mm-hmm. I'm just like sitting in a dark room, I have no lights on, and I'm sitting on the floor halfway in my closet. I'm uh, feeling like you're a victim of, <laughs> <laughs> of the guy. <laughs> no. <laughs> As a victim of myself. <laughs> a lot more to read. <laughs> so the two Tatianas decide to try and escape. However, the plan was made difficult because the staircase was electrified and it's only cut off when Coleman is inside the bunker. So they had an opportunity. Coleman was inside the bunker 
they tried to lock him in one of the rooms. However, they tried to use like a frying pan, like jam it between, I guess, some kind of lock. So the frying pan didn't hold. Coleman breaks out, catches them, and he offers them two choices. Either he cut their mouths ear to ear, which I think is also like known as like a Glasgow smile when you like they cut your face. Well, I guess your mouth like that Joker smile or tattoo the the Russian word rab onto their foreheads. So they they both chose the latter. So Coleman tattooed rab on their foreheads and also in the pictures. I don't have a very good one. He also wrote something like below their eyes, but it's not everything I looked at. It's not very like legible. I couldn't really figure out what what was kind of written underneath their eyes. It looks like ML on one side. The photo I sent you is not very good, but... Yeah, it's not very good. Yeah, there's better photos. I just didn't save the good ones. Yeah, this is the other Tatiana. This is Vera. So after the Tatianas tried to escape, Coleman decided to on collars and shackles and then leave the key on the table so that no one could try anything anymore. Again, Vera was out looking for new prisoners, and this time she unexpectedly disappeared. She just never came back. Coleman decided she just left town, and he continued searching. So one day, while visiting the train station, uh, he found a woman, 27-year-old Tatiana So she'd been traveling around from station to station on the Gorky Railway. He offered her some food, a place to stay, and she soon also found herself in this bunker. However, Coleman, not realizing at the time, Nazimova was ill. She was ill mentally, physically. Some places say she had cancer. She had like the mind of a five-year-old. I'm not really sure what was exactly wrong, but she was, I guess, just sick. So pretty much for Coleman and Mikhiev, she was of no use. And for the year that she stayed in the bunker, she was raped. And after that year, Coleman became kind of bored with her and starved her for a while and then killed her with brake fluid. And she, at this moment, would be the, the third victim. And after, after killing Tatiana, she, so after killing her with brake fluid, he planned on taking her to the morgue. He put her, her body on a sled and left the garage, but then a passerby scared him. And he just dumped her body about 200 meters from the garages. And she was later found. These victims that were found, there didn't seem to be, like, anyone looking for them. At the time, the bo- they were the bodies were found. And it seemed like most of the time they, they were just assumed to have been alcoholics, homeless people, and just kind of n- not too thought about based off these articles. So at this time, Coleman is trying to realize one of his other dreams, growing cucumbers. So he does eventually try to build this greenhouse below, but uh, one of his neighbors starts to complain that the potatoes in his garage are like starting to sprout, and 
he can feel from Coleman's that there's like all this heat coming from the walls and the ground. So Coleman like scraps his cucumber production and keeps sticking with all the sewing and kind of ends his, as in one documentary said, ends his dream of being the cucumber king there, <laughs> which was really weird. He was like obsessed with wanting to grow cucumbers. He tried to do potatoes since I guess they don't require so much heat. But during all this time, other than the neighbor kind of noticing this heat from the garage, he was a kind of an ordinary guy. Uh, he had a girlfriend, supposedly, and he visited the garage daily, but no one really questioned it. A lot of the articles mention he didn't have a car, so why would he have a garage? I don't think that's that strange, mm. but yeah, that was one thing that's brought up. He had no car. And you saw in the picture, his garage was just kind of full of junk. Yeah, so, that's what a lot of people know. Uh, yeah, I think garages are pretty kind of known for just like, where do you put your crap? How about the garage? Yeah. Especially when you live in like apartments, there's nowhere else to keep anything. So in addition to like sewing these robes and underwear, the victims were, I guess at this point we have two Tatianas and Vera still in the bunker. They began sewing some sort of like special clothing for priests and also weaving icons, some religious icons. Uh, Komen also forced them to weave a, and I have a picture of it, a huge, like, coat of Russian arms that he was trying to sell to um, the Kirov Oblast, uh, some government part of the Kirov Oblast, and then he also tried to sell it to the police department, but nobody would buy it because no one had the money to buy this coat of arms mm -hmm. but i was looking at trying to find other pictures of like stuff they made and the the robes and stuff were kind of like the basic thing you would see i feel like that every like russian grandma wears around the house and then this like woven tapestry um, from the quality i mean it looks pretty good but so we're in the final year of this bunker now it's january 1997 and coleman unexpectedly runs into oh i made a mistake so before i was saying that vera and the two tatianas were still in the bunker vera disappeared so now in january 1997 vera reappears so coleman runs into vera in the city and he offers her a job pretty much like new conditions he offers her position to find markets to sell the to sell the garments and to keep looking for new prisoners for him. She agrees to this. She goes back. And, I, and this was like probably the most confusing part to the story to me as to why she would go back a, like a year, about a year later in the timeline. I, I assume like just like the economic time period was like so bad that whatever opportunity you could get, you would take. But I don't know, just like spending your time stuck underground and then going back. She was offered a job and she was offered money. A few days later, Vera brings to the garage another prisoner, 22-year-old Irina Ganyoshinko. Irina. So Irina, she was 
one of the youngest prisoners and she was also so arena is new to the garage and now coleman is trying some other kind of experiment and he tries to artificially fertilize arena with a syringe in order to like literally create his own slaves from her body didn't really didn't get much detail on that process but yeah so (laughs) it's pretty fucked up can't really imagine it's absolutely fucked up meanwhile irina does have a i think at this year maybe she has a daughter i think her daughter might be about one years old at this time 1997 um so one time while drinking, so this is Vera has brought in Irina to the garage. Uh, Irina is already drunk and drugged with whatever Coleman has given her, and this is when Vera tries to kind of like demand Coleman he pay her more for what she's been doing, that she needs a certain amount of money or she'll go to the police. And it's quoted that she says, in Russia, women aren't imprisoned for life. So they won't give me much. And here, you sit for life, so you have to pay. Uh, Apparently, this really pissed him off. And he took Vera, tortured her for a few hours. And then I read in a few places, gave her the option of drinking brake fluid or having it injected into her veins. Um, And then other places just said that he just forced it down, forced the brake fluid down and... She's the fourth, the fourth victim killed at this point in our story. And now that we have our new prisoner, Irina, she becomes Komen's love interest. He apparently falls in love with her. And I think she spent about three months in the bunker. And he decides to bring her out into his apartment because he's going to marry her. That's like his plan. That's what he thinks. So she... In the meantime, when he has left her alone, he has threatened to kill her, her family, her her daughter, if she were to try and do anything. But she she goes to the police anyway. They don't believe her at first. They just think she's kind of like making stuff up or they just don't believe her until she starts giving names of the past victims and the two Tatianas who are still currently in the the bunker and at this point have been there for two years and haven't haven't come out after hearing this they they decide to go check it out she does warn them though that like the about the electrification the electric ladder so they were able to cut all the power off get there i i assume coleman was near near the garage at the time because that's where they arrested him after that they take the two tatianas out but they were blindfolded because apparently being underground for so long with no, only with artificial lighting, they could have gone blind. And that's pretty much where the the capture ends. He He's caught like right where he started. And they do, it didn't really say about how they arrested Mikhiv. He was arrested also too, but they didn't say like, how or where he was at the time but uh, they both testify and confess to the murders and the illegal labor illegal labor and illegal entrepreneurship in 1999 the kirov court sentences 
uh, Coleman to life imprisonment and Mikhiev to 20 years imprisonment. Uh, but shortly after, it says about a few days, Coleman commits suicide in his cell by cutting open his femoral artery, which is like, I think that's like somewhere in your thigh, in your leg. Uh, he is quoted at the time when he was caught saying, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to marry Irina or finish my underground dream. So, and we... <laughs> <laughs> His underground dream. I remembered two movies <laughs> during the story. About him yeah. or like about someone being similar? No, just two movies. One of them is there is a movie Underground. It's uh, Emir Kusturitz. <laughs> it's uh, like there is no Yugoslavia, of course, but he's kind of a Yugoslavian director. Okay. And what it's, is it an old film? Uh, it's it's a film from 90s, and uh, it's about people that worked uh, underground. They they worked underground, and they they didn't know that uh, uh, they stayed. I think they stayed uh, underground during. Uh, during the World War Two, and um, they didn't know that the war is over, and they they just lived there. They they made some stuff, and uh, uh, another guy just he was selling all what they made. So the guy who like was selling stuff never told them the war was yes. over. You can come out. <laughs> <laughs> he never told them, and it's uh... like yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Have, have you seen the movie? No, I don't <laughs> think... I've never heard of it. Is it in English? <laughs> the movie? No, it's not in okay, English. Yeah. It's uh, Maybe it's in Serbian? I don't know. Well, we do have some updates on this case, and actually kind of recent, because I was kind of surprised to see this. Um, so, Mikhiev, since he was only imprisoned for... 20 years he was released in 2017 and according to some articles he's living around moscow there's not a whole lot on him i don't expect to really find anything on him um but unfortunately the only survivor of this this horrible story is um is, is arena she was the youngest and she she got out so Irina was, is the only is the only current survivor. The two Tatianas they ended up moving in together, but due to like their disfiguration with the tattoos, it was hard for them to find a job. Um, in a New York Times article, Tatiana Milikova, 37, and Tatiana Kozikova, 38, uh, first showed their tattoo faces on local television. The authorities opened a bank, uh, opened bank accounts for them, so viewers could donate the $400 needed to get the tattoos removed. No one, no rubles were ever donated at that time when that article was written. It says that uh, Tatiana Kazikova then turned to the singer uh, Joseph Kobzon. I had to look him up, and then I recognized him, the man with the very weird hairline, and he's always on Russian TV. I thought he was still alive, but actually he died like two years ago, I think. So she was, she, she sang with him? 
No, she didn't sing with him. <laughs> she <laughs> she turned to him to um for help. So she uh, somehow oh. contacted him. Uh, he sent a complaint to the uh, Kirov like Oblast administration, and he apparently he paid for her surgeries to have the tattoos removed from her face. So he mm. helped her out. But uh, in twenty in two thousand five, she she died crossing the street of a heart attack, weak heart. According to some other articles, her life never improved so much. The other Tatiana Milenkova also died in 2004, a year earlier of a heart attack. Articles also noted that her life didn't improve either. Hard for them. No one ever really found jobs. Uh, I'm not sure how long they lived together, though. There was also mentions of Stockholm Syndrome that they started to actually miss being in the bunker. But based off some stuff I read that they, well, in the documentaries, listening to them, it doesn't sound like it. But in 2019, on another TV show, Nassam Dalea, Nassam Dalea. Nassam yes. Yeah, I tried to watch it. It's, it was quite long. Mihiv and uh, Irina both appear on this show. And apparently there's like a panel of experts, like psychologists, or at least there's one. I'm not really sure how to say his last name. A Roman, you know who I'm talking about? Mm, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me, I want to text you the name so you can say it because I'm, I'm not, I'm going to butcher the shit out of it. Yes. Ostyuzhaninov, I guess. Okay, thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so this is one of the experts on the show. So on the show, I don't know how if this is always how it's set up. Have you seen it before? Like, not this episode, but in general? Well, uh, you know I don't watch TV, so... <laughs> okay, well, I don't... Really. I don't know the standard of the show, but in this episode, they're, they hook they hook up the people to, like, lie detectors, and then they have this big, huge, like, digital screen in the background with, like, their heart mm-hmm. rate, I guess, to show the audience their heart rate and if they could be lying and such. So they're asking Arena all these questions, and I know at some point, I guess Roman, this expert psychologist, he, uh, he doesn't really believe... Irina's like testimony to when she went to the police uh I I think it upset people too I read some comments down below on the article about this episode that they used to have some faith in this man but now they're just like oh it's just tv it's set up it's fake it's staged Uh, eventually on the show like they both sit at this table together not very close it was a pretty big table the chairs were really big too. Neither of them could touch the floor. I don't really understand the point of that. They were both like dangling from these chairs. They yeah, had both hooked up to these lie detectors and both had their uh, blood pressure heart monitors on the screens. I kind of just like skimmed through this video. I didn't like try to translate it. But I think like most of the comments said just like staging. It's TV. And yeah, yeah so... Mm-hmm. It's the first. It's the first channel. Don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, it's on channel one. So. 
And the other the other documentaries came on like NTV, so I guess it's a little better. The documentaries are actually pretty interesting. The the second one with uh, what is it? The investigation was conducted. Such a nice translation. Uh, he there was like I guess they were trying to like lighten the mood a bit. But, like sometimes you're watching it, then all of a sudden it breaks to like now he's in a kitchen. He's wearing like an apron. And he's like showing us how to recycle plastic bottles. Like you can use them as, he's like, oh, you can fill them up and use them as weights. Fill it up, use it as a rolling pin. And like, I'm like, okay, it's like a flower pot. And I'm just like, I'm like, this seems a bit strange for this kind of like dark story you're telling us, but all right. And then he like loosely connects it to the story at some point. Um, I guess the the women in the bunker also, I don't know, maybe to try and like feel better, would make like art out of plastic bottles, like the the little flowers and stuff you kind of see in people's gardens outside. But it was a like a really weird cutscene. <laughs> yeah. So this guy in this um, this guy with mustache during during these um, I don't know these criminal stories he tries to explain things that that were in in the past like in the in the soviet union yeah he was explaining also um some really popular soap opera at the time it didn't make any sense to me i i don't i think i forgot where he said it came from it wasn't a russian soap opera brazilian (laughs) probably it was also about like a prisoner being like a held captive that was really I don't know it was really popular I guess pre-90s or in the 90s but I didn't really make that much sense to me oh it was the reenactments were a little cheesy at some points but I think like all these kind of shows like that are a little cringy when it comes to reenactments but it wasn't any worse than like some American ones I've seen so I don't know. I I recommend both of those documentaries, or just like that show in general. The investigation was conducted, and uh, Criminal Russia was was interesting too. And like YouTube had decent translations. The cooperative prisoner, the translation made a little bit more sense. I don't know how they how it works because I think it's like just automate automated. I don't think someone did it themselves. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that's that's the end of the the, the Sashas. Alec. <laughs> we have two Sashas, a few Tatianas, uh, and one of the documentaries, actually both of them. I I don't know if it's like what you do, but like they're like for convenience, we're going to call this Tatiana Oksana. I'm like, well, like why? Because there's too many Tatianas, we have to like change someone's name. I was like, maybe Oksana is like another name that Tatiana's use. No, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Different names. I guess what I thought. So I was like, Oksana is like an actual name. I've met an Oksana before. But yeah, they did yeah. that in I think both documentaries. They just they changed one of the Tatianas to Oksana. It's I don't know. It's it's a pretty shocking story. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because I when I first read this um, crime, I think I read about it when I first moved to Russia because I had so much time I wasn't doing anything, and I was just reading, I was listening to 
any crime podcast I could. And I was looking up like Murderpedia and that's where I found some of this information too. And I just kind of read the Murderpedia page. There's two really short articles on there and I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting and like never looked more into it. But then after deciding to do this and like finding more of the Russian sources, that Russian website, Novo Touch, like they had a lot of articles on there. It was just like a web page of like articles from all different Russian sources. Weird mm. translation, but like it was Okay. I know it had a lot of good information. A lot of like, I know some places had like a little bit of a differences. Like the the depth of this bunker, it ranges from like eight, nine to ten. Some of the ages are a little different, but nothing drastic. Uh, most of the stories are all pretty consistent, I think. So the first thing you you decided to I don't know to research about Russia is. <laughs> Russian murderers <laughs> yeah because like I don't know it was something I was always into but then since I was in Russia I was like oh like I don't know why not look up something specific maybe I'll find something like interesting from like where I'm where I'm at like in Astrakhan like I don't know like who's who else is there besides like the other I feel like the the handful of other famous Russians that like a lot of people talk about but this guy apparently was this story was actually pretty big i don't know every some of the articles were like oh this is like a worldwide crime it was on the news i mean the new york times wrote about it but that article i got from the new york times was like written at the time of the crime in 97 of course i wouldn't have known about it then but i don't know i feel like maybe even russia it's not not that well known i don't know mm, i don't know i i watched it uh, this uh, like documentaries uh, with uh, <laughs> with guy with master <laughs> oh yeah like the end and tv shows yeah but i don't remember this episode maybe i watched it maybe i didn't and uh, the story i don't know it's like a new story for me but yeah i kind of want to watch more from each of these these tv shows i guess i will if i keep if we keep doing this <laughs> it'll be a, it's a There's actually kind of like good resource and like good for my Russian. I don't know this this story. It's it, I don't know. It's so fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like a good starter. Coleman's grave. Apparently, someone uh, was putting like toys on it and like leaving things. And I guess from the show, he was like assuming that it was Arena. And that she was like suffering from like Stockholm syndrome. I don't know. Based off the documentaries and stuff that she says, I I don't think she did it, but who knows? Okay. <laughs> I'll try. Okay, so I'll try to tell you a story about um, Nikolai Pavlenka. He's a swindler. Does it make any sense? Like um like a con artist kind of guy? He's, he's a con man. So Nikolai Pavlenka is a con man and he was born in the village Novy Sokoly. Uh, it's it's Kiev region. So it was uh, it was uh, Soviet Ukraine. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. And like what year and was he born? So 
even <laughs> even the year of uh, even the year he's born it's a mystery so according to some resources he was born in 1908 and according to other sources he was born in 1912 he could born from 1908 to 1912 okay so he has some options of birthday uh, because he faked his documents uh, okay yeah i guess if you're a con artist that's kind of probably something you would do so no one really know like different resources say different things and this information it was in kgb archives for a really long time and i think this is, is another thing why there is not much information about him because like the kgb has it all or it's just uh, not out there i i'm not sure what year exactly the information was open and uh, it was like top secret <laughs> so uh, nikolai pavlenko was born in Kiev region the year is unknown he was a gunman and he was a creator and commander of the fake self-supporting uh, military construction site uh, self-supporting military construction site okay his fake so basically he made he made up i don't know a fake military unit how's that even possible like just some random person some citizen just yeah. makes up a military unit yeah <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's a really cool story so he was born into a family of a wealthy miller so he his father was kind of wealthy mm-hmm. and during the period of collectivization the family was dispossessed and his father was exiled to Siberia and he died there. And why and, was he sent there? Uh, like... Yes, uh, it was time of collectivization. Uh, and uh, so collectivization mean people couldn't own Earth. Uh, so like individually, it wasn't allowed to have like your own kind of thing? Yes, they 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 were not allowed to have earth and to have like their own farms. So yeah, it's all like makes sense. Collectives. Yes. So collectivization means that all all people's farms they became government. So the government own everything. And during the collectivization, the government made made Kolkhozes, kolkhoz, and sovkhozes, sovkhoz, kolkhoz, sovkhoz. Kolkhoz, kolkhoz, Yes, kolkhoz. So it's so it's basically it's almost the same. So kolkhoz was a form of collective farm in the Soviet Union, and sovkhoz it was almost the same. So it's it's not a big difference between farms and farms. So, okay, Sovkhoz is a state-owned farm, state-owned farm. And Kolkhoz, like, uh, it has, it, it had, like, some administration. It was like a government farm, but 
government didn't uh, rule it directly. There is no like difference is really it's very slight. So basically, they they just sent successful farmers to Siberia and other regions because they were like breaking the law. So becoming successful wasn't allowed, and sent them off to die. Yes, uh, in my opinion, they just wanted to. It's it's, it's basically it's like slaving. But it's a Soviet slaving. They wanted to subjugate people well, in rural places and not like, like all, all citizens of the USSR. So another goal was uh, industrialization to send people from villages to cities. They needed workers. They needed workers at, and at factories and plants. Mm. So like they were trying to what, reduce farms and create more they, factories they they tried to change farms in in their opinion they could change it but really history shows it was a stupid idea mm-hmm. <laughs> and they broke like i don't know millions lives this collectivization a lot of people were sent to, to siberia to Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, to different different parts of the USSR. Uh, a lot of people in Ukraine, uh, maybe Ukraine suffered the most of all republics because uh, Ukraine had the, the best soil. Yeah, so Ukraine, Kuban region, it's Krasnodar region. So it's by you, right? Mm-hmm. They had the best soil and a lot of people suffered from this collectivization. Collectivization caused hunger. People didn't have anything to eat. A lot of people died and different sources tell about different numbers. So the number of people can can be from a few hundred, a few hundred thousand dead people to a few millions. In, in Ukraine, the period called Golodomor, like Golod means hunger, famine, and Mor means uh, de- death, some, something like that. Death caused of hunger. This guy, Nikolai Pavlenko, he went from home before his father was exiled. In 1928, Nikolai left home and uh, he worked as a road builder at organization at, uh, that built 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 roads. So he had forged documents. He entered the road traffic faculty on the Belarusian state. So he had to forge his documents because he was the son of in Soviet Union. The people were called kulak, kulaki. Like kulak mean kulak in English means fist, and kulak is uh, like wealthy farmers. A well, he was called like a wealthy farmer. Like uh, he was a son of a wealthy farmer, and uh, he uh, he had to 
forge his documents because uh, they wouldn't allow him to to study at the university. Uh, if they if they saw that he was the son of the wealthy farmers. Yes. yes. So and he had to forge his documents. He did it. He entered the road traffic faculty of the Belarusian State Polytechnic Institute. So a lot of sources say that he had to leave the university in two years because KGB, sir, and maybe another secret services, they started to check people at institutes. So he left the university after two years. Was that like a known thing that people were doing? So they had like services just checking schools for people forging documents? I guess so. Gagarin, the first uh, first Russian astronaut, even he had relatives that were, uh, some of them were Kulak, and he didn't show this information. And oh, even he, wouldn't... he like did that too, forged he... papers? Even he did it, so people, they didn't have future. And uh, so if they wanted to go to university to make a career, they had to do something with their documents. They couldn't show that some of their close relatives luck a well. It's interesting, farm. like, you have to, like, erase your farming history off your document to go to a university. <laughs> you wouldn't think like farming would be such a problem. Wealthy or not, it's just farming. <laughs> Especially when yeah, you think no. of like today, like in modern times. Not not in Soviet Russia. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, of course, I'm sure it's a, it's, it's a super weird story for Americans, you you see, even even Gagarin had to forge his documents. Uh, he wouldn't become the first astronaut in the history. So Nikolai Pavlenko had to leave the university. He was feared that they will expose him. He left the university, and uh, I want to tell you about another strange thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will be surprised during the Soviet. During this time, so it's 1930s, uh, existed the law, in English it's the law of spikelets. Spikelets? 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 I don't know either of these words. (laughs) They Uh, sound like English, but I don't don't know. S-P-I-K-E-L-E-T-S. S-P... I K I T E S. I'm getting a bunch of like kites. S S P I K E L E T. Oh, okay. Let me spell it back to you. S P I K E L T. L L E T. Oh, L E T. I see a plant. Google says. The basic unit of a grass flower consisting of two glooms or outer something at the base. Um, ear of wheat. Yeah, I guess it's like the little, um, I don't know anything about grains. 
bar I'm, I'm getting like barley I guess it's like the the top part of the plant like that you that they, you eventually harvest yeah yes it's the top part of the plant it's it's a top part of the wheat people grow it for making bread i found uh, the article on wikipedia and it's it's the law of spike that's <laughs> i have no idea i've never heard of this oh what does like can you describe the law what does it say like was a degree in the soviet union to protect state property. The decree was also known as na, na, na. so ev- everyone who, who took something from from Kolkhoz, uh, so he could be could be shot to death. So basically it was uh, yes, it was a law about Soviet farms. The government owned everything absolutely everything there was no private property maybe private property uh, was like plates like i don't know like <laughs> like some some furniture maybe it was uh, it was it like private property uh, something some, like really small maybe like some furniture and uh, i'm not sure about Your vehicles car? Oh, okay so what about cars yeah uh, not a lot of people had cars. Only, only some people that uh, made a big career, they could have a car. So cars, they are mostly, I don't know, maybe just people, people from government, from KGB, from important uh, factories. Maybe okay. only they had, maybe only they had cars. People like people had nothing. <laughs> so, nothing. Oh, and they couldn't have anything. So <laughs> they couldn't have anything. All property became government, like socialist property. And if you steal from the government in 1930s, they could just shut you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I keep forgetting the time period. Yes, 1930s. So this guy, Nikolai Pavlenko, he was involved in the case of of uh, the law about the Soviet property. And uh, he spent 35 days in remand, in remand prison. Basically, he spent 30, 35 days in KGB prison. And uh, so, in some sources, KGB recruited him in order to involve him in the development of materials against uh, Trotskists. (laughs) So maybe you've heard about Trotsky, maybe not Trotsky. Trotsky? So Trotsky, it was a guy, he was one of the communists. He was like one of the top communists. Uh, he hid Red Russian Army. He hid hid them like in homes and places. Head, I'm sorry. He he was the head of the Red Army. Uh, okay. 
So Trotsky was the head of the Red Army from 1918, uh, a few years, I guess, during the war. So it was the war between, um, between communists and militaries that supported Tsar. The war ended in a few years. Civil war ended in 1920. Trotsky was like a close friend of Lenin. After Lenin's death in 1924, so it was like it was like competition who will be uh, the next leader. And mm. obviously the next leader became Stalin. Stalin became the leader even before the Lenin's death. So Trotsky had to immigrate. He immigrated to Latin America and he was killed there. <laughs> yeah, he was killed there by, by KGB. How did they find out he was there? Uh, I think Trotsky was pretty popular. He was like a popular figure. Have you seen the movie with Penelope Cruz uh, when she's a painter? I think so. Doesn't she like she plays like Frida Frida Kahlo? Yes, she plays Frida Kahlo, and uh, <laughs> in this movie, Trotsky was her lover. I don't know the whole history, but yeah, I've seen the movie. I've read about it a little bit. Yeah, so it was Trotsky. Trotsky was killed, and um, KGB they wanted to find all supporters of Trotsky, kill them, send them to prisons. Some sources say that Polenka was recruited to, to tell to KGB about uh, some people that were supporting Trotsky. Uh, so like he was some kind of inside guy? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, and uh, because uh, usually people were sent to, to prison or they were killed. So maybe he stole something. It could be anything. They they recruited him. The Russian, so in Russia, it's called the Great Patriotic War. And it started in 1941. On June 27, 1941, the first rank military technician, Pavlenka, was appointed to the position of assistant engineer of the second rifle corps. Does it make any sense? No, I don't think what no. any of that means, only that it sounds military. Uh, so, okay, uh, in June in June 1941, Pavlenka was sent to the Great Patriotic War, mm -hmm. the war against uh, fascism. Uh, and he was like a soldier or an engineer of, of what? He was a military technician. He deserted. Like he like left his position or? Yes. In a few months, he deserted. He didn't want to die and he didn't want to fight. <laughs> and uh, he left his uh, military unit. Yeah, good reason. He made fake documents that uh, he need to leave to another military unit. He took a military car and he just left. Oh, so he just like, what, this military unit was the one he eventually like 
just created out of thin air and then just stole some car? He he stole some car. He went to Kalinin. It it it's a Russian city. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. To attract servicemen to the rents of his unit, Pavlenko sent official requests uh, to the military commandant's office and Kalinin's commissariat, having previously made friends with the right people. So he he needed soldiers okay. for his unit. He needed soldiers for his unit and made fake documents, requests to the military that his unit needs people. So he was just collecting men that had no idea that they were joining like a fake military unit? Uh, yes, yes. So uh, he he had co-workers, co <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's probably more of a military term, but we'll stick with co-workers right now. He deserted from his military unit. Uh, when he came to Kalinin, he made uh, he made friends with the people that that also deserted from the military, and uh, they became his uh, accomplices. Mm -hmm. There were like maybe ten or twenty people that oh, knew what they are doing. And, Not so uh, secretive. Yes, but uh, <laughs> he had this fake unit for 10 years. It's a long time. A lot of people and a long time to keep it kind of like hush-hush. Yes, from this fake military unit worked from 1941 to 1951. And what did they do? Like, did they actually do anything or just exist? Did he gain some sort of income from doing this? They, they built roads that... Uh, were like destroyed afterwards or yes so they they built roads that were ruined during the war the great patriotic war was uh, from 1941 till 1945 in 1945 uh, the ussr defeated nazi germany uh, all this time from 1941 to 1945 uh, his military unit built roads and some buildings for military. Uh, his military unit went to Berlin. <laughs> mm. So they built they built roads. All sources say that they built good roads. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good thing. Some some roads in Ukraine are still uh, people people still <laughs> drive <laughs> on these roads. Oh, so like of high quality, they still exist. Yeah, they they still exist in, in Ukraine, in Moldova, maybe in other Soviet republics. Uh, when they go to Berlin, when they went to Berlin. They started robbing people. They were robbing Germans and, and they took a lot of German cars and sent them to to Russia. I guess they didn't feel too bad about it. I mean, but they were like fighting Nazi Germany at the time. <laughs> Part of the war yeah. effort, make roads 
steal shit. <laughs> yeah, so they they stole horses, cars, uh, uh, furniture, everything they could sell. And uh, and after war ended, so actually, uh, Ovlenka could could stop his uh, fake military unit. And did and he, or did he turn it into something else? He stopped for a year, but I don't know, maybe he was bored or something. He started it again. His military unit, uh, he organized the military unit in Moldova. Moldova, it was Moldavian Socialist Republic, uh, the part of the Soviet Union. And he built roads till 1951 he sent complaint to the prosecutor's office about his salary. <laughs> so Go figure. He, he didn't get enough money. They should have paid him more. Yeah, and who doesn't want more? <laughs> prosecutor's office, they sent a letter to, to the military service to find out about this unit. Yeah, and, like, uh, where's this unit from? Who are these people? And they got information that uh, this unit doesn't exist. <laughs> it's <laughs> so like, funny. Going strong for a pretty long time until one person complains about their salary. <laughs> it took that long for someone to complain about their salary. <laughs> it's kind of surprising. You'd think it would have happened a while ago. <laughs> Everything was fine. <laughs> it seems like they were doing pretty good, too. Like, just paving their way across Russia, former <laughs> Soviet states, all the way to Germany, taking what they want. And you'd think, okay, yeah, they're doing pretty good. Maybe we could get paid more. But no, later on, they ask for it. And uh, most of the sol- soldiers, the most of soldiers, they didn't know that uh, the military unit is fake. They didn't know it. Yeah, you'd think you'd think something was weird though, but I don't know, maybe maybe everything was weird at that time, so that no one questioned anything. It was like it was a huge chaos. So in in 1941, Germany came to the USSR. In 1941, Nazi Germany invaded the USSR. It was like a huge chaos and like it's kind of and a lot of military units like they formed a lot of military units and a lot of them were like ruined destroyed a lot of people killed and uh, the generals they couldn't know exactly what unit is still exists and what unit is destroyed yeah but there was like a lot of misconnections and not a lot of yes. communication yes uh, yes it was difficult to communicate <laughs> mm-hmm. there were no mobile phones <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there was no internet <laughs> yeah they didn't have much 
to do it, like what messengers <laughs> and back and forth. Yeah, they they had documents. It was easy to make fake documents. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was pretty simple. Like everything probably looked almost the same. Fake yeah, like real. all all deck all documents were only paper documents yeah and uh, Pavlenka was good enough in making fake documents and uh, the soviet military sent like real soldiers to his military unit because obviously they thought that this unit is is real unit and uh, so the prosecutor office they found found out like Accidentally, they found out that uh, this military unit doesn't exist. Once they once they got to him, so oh, when that soldier like complained about they, his salary. Yes, he complained about his salary. The prosecutor sent a letter to military service. They said this military unit doesn't exist, and they came to this military unit and. So yeah, in 1951, KGB arrested Pavlenka and his accomplices. Mm -hmm. In 1954, they started the trial, the trial against Pavlenka and his people, and his other people. In 1955, the judge made verdict that is guilty. And the, how long did the trial last? Did he? So the trial lasted from November uh, 1954 to April 1955. Okay. The trial decided that Pavlenko is guilty, and he was shot to death. And wow. uh, his he was married. His wife and children. They were sent to Siberia. And what happened with the, like the accomplices? The same, same verdict or something less? So, some of them were killed as well and executed as well, and some of them were sent to to prison. Mostly, uh, maybe the most Soviet prisons they based in Siberia. It's kind of an extreme sentence. I guess the most of people they they just couldn't survive there. <laughs> Pavlenka should have stopped. <laughs> <after Yes>, that. <laughs> yeah, it was too much of a good thing. He kept going. <laughs> I think he was a pretty wealthy man, and uh, he he had money. He had friends. He could have, uh, I'm sure he could have do something else. Got out of there, left, just disappeared with whatever he had. Switch up his business model, maybe. Change from roads to something else. Stay away from the military. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't, and they caught him. Yeah, it's still an extreme sentence for paving the roads of the USSR. Like... I'm sure they helped out. I mean, it couldn't have been like they must have actually been used if he they made so many roads. They lasted for a long time. I can't really see how you would see that as like 
a negative thing. I mean, not just the roads. Obviously, he made money off of it and did some other stuff, but punishable by death. It's pretty crazy he got away with it for so long. Uh, I still think it's pretty funny that he just kind of got caught based off a low salary of a soldier. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this... What's his name? Paula... Uh, Pavlenkov, Pavlenkov, Pavlenka, Pavlenka. Like, I mean, maybe he was an asshole. I don't know. We didn't. He didn't really talk about his personality, but I don't know what else he did. So during during the trial, he said uh, during the trial, he said that he wasn't guilty and he helped the USSR to win the war. He like he didn't do anything bad. <laughs> I mean, based off the story, I, that's like what I'm thinking in my mind. Like, the military <laughs> must have used his roads. Like, like it's not all bad. But... Yes, and all, all sources say that uh, his roads w- were pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they got rid of some guy who probably could have, you know, helped generations of <laughs> ro- Soviet roads until now. Because. <laughs> You know, some of the roads we have today, they're not, they're still not that great. It's a crazy story. Yeah, he should have become uh, the USSR president. (laughs) Oh, maybe he could have, like, turned it into, like, a legit thing. But I guess, I don't know, maybe when you're already, like, kind of like that con man kind of lifestyle, like, you don't care about being, like, legitimate. So, well, I get, oh, wait. This is Soviet Russia. I guess you couldn't become legitimate. Like, I guess you couldn't turn it into a business. It wasn't allowed. Uh, yes, like yeah, uh, business, probably the problem. business. Yeah, business didn't exist. Yeah, that's my American brain. <laughs> Make it a business. He could have. He could have made so these organizations. They were called cooperatives. Cooperative road thing. He he could have worked for the government, I guess. Like go- government owned everything. Yeah, I guess like just give it away. But I guess he probably didn't want to give it to the government. Yeah, he he should have he should have immigrated to the U.S. and make business there. Yeah, he was just like an entrepreneur, and he died for it. <laughs> Horrible story ending. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot of people died unfortunately because of this stupid soviet system it doesn't make sense now but i'm not from this era or this country so yeah i mean it obviously didn't make sense to a lot of people then either just the way things were and last night i was watching a russian documentary on um i don't know what you'd call it the 1991 protest uh, I don't know riot didn't look like a riot but the when, when the USSR collapsed yeah I, yeah, I guess so like when um yeah yeah it was on the like on the tank is that his name am I mixing them up uh, um, Yeltsin Yeltsin yeah and it was like yeah something Yeltsin was on the tank in mm-hmm. Moscow, and the documentary hasn't shown anything in Moscow. It's just all in Saint Petersburg. And then you have uh, oh, what's his name? 
sub like sub subchuck subcheck yeah exactly yeah she was like um some like television host or like some reality tv show or something mm -hmm. yeah yeah she... you see him oh you see like young poots which was really funny like really really quiet like really uh, really fast He's like he's like running into a building and running out of the building, and everyone's just like, "What's that?" Ugh. I can't say this version of Vladimir. Vlad of Vladia, Vladia. Volodya. Volodya, yeah, Volodya. It's not hard to say these like names. You have to like talk like like a baby. It's like uh, <laughs> if the, for like English speaking, it's like when you go like, ah, da, 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 da. it's like Vladia, it's hard sometimes <laughs> to like say a whole name in that like speech. Yeah. Volodya. Is that how you Volodya. Volodya. It's hard. I believe you. <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting. Um, my knowledge of all of this is like next to none so I'm just like trying to understand it but it's kind of hard I don't think I should have started with this documentary I still want to watch finish it but like I need like a whole lot more context to like fully understand what's going on yeah maybe it's not the best documentary I don't know I just can't say a few words about this time so <laughs> Gorbachev came to power in uh, 1986 and uh, the USSR economy was in horrible situation because of because of Afghanistan uh, so the USSR started war in Afghanistan and all countries were against this war all countries I mean the US, uh, the European countries. And so the USSR had to spend a lot of money on uh, on this war. Because of this war, uh, the US made a deal with Saudi Arabia and they made cheap prices on oil, cheap oil prices. And the USSR <laughs> functioned for so long only because of the high oil prices. Yeah, just depending on the oil. Yeah, the, the USSR, uh, all, all money were from oil because really uh, the USSR, the, the economy was a disaster because uh, there were no businesses in the USSR and uh, the USSR didn't make like high technologies, the USSR, even because of the collectivization, uh, the USSR couldn't, couldn't feed Soviet people. They had to buy wheat from another countries. Which is so weird, like, I don't know, you, you think you would see this one kind of small thing as a problem and like start, try to fix it. <laughs> I don't really understand it sometimes, like, that this collectivization of something it sounds like it should work but then it doesn't and then no one cared to make it work so uh, i guess in 19 
60s, uh, the Soviet scientists, they found like a huge, uh, huge amount of oil and gas in Siberia. And, and they decided like, uh, like fuck economic reforms. We don't need anything. We are just going to sell uh, gas and oil abroad. Yes, and uh, the economy was, I don't know, it was like in Middle Ages, maybe. Like it, uh, it wasn't, it, it was absolutely, uh, I don't know, maybe it was like in North Korea. So there was no economy. It was a huge experiment on people and it didn't work. And like for how long did this experiment go on? For 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> Usually in experiments, you try to mix things up at some point. I guess they just decided to be lazy about it. And... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a lot to learn about, though, definitely. So, yeah, I hope you guys liked those stories. I think I'm going to try and create an Instagram page so I can post some photos of these criminals and just some of these crimes and you know, what whatever could be interesting from our stories so yeah um it doesn't exist right now so i can't tell you the name but it will probably be something along the lines of stalin on you on instagram mm, perfect Any, do, you have, do you have anything to add subscribe